the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. The New Sovereign, or God. A special Chalcedon alert number three. The most common term for God in the Old Testament is Lord. Adonai in the Hebrew, and for Jesus Christ in the New Testament, is again Lord. Kyrios in the Greek. It means absolute owner, God, or sovereign. In the ancient world, the state or the ruler claimed lordship or sovereignty. The battle between Rome and the early church was over this issue. Rome was ready to recognize any religion as licit or legal and give it a license to operate if it would declare, quote, Caesar is Lord, unquote. The answer of faithful Christians was the profession of faith in terms of Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that, quote, Jesus Christ is Lord, unquote. This was the beginning of a long battle between church and state, which still marks European history. The European settlement was in part an uneasy compromise. The church gained many of its claimed exemptions, but the rulers of the state asserted a sovereignty under God by grace. Thus, an English halfpenny of 1966 carries this inscription, quote, Elizabeth II, De Gracia Regina, unquote. Elizabeth II, by the grace of God. The coronation service stressed the covenantal nature of her throne. However, in the days of George VI, some of the coins in Britain and the Dominions limited, quote, del gracia, unquote, to, quote, d dot g dot, unquote, while retaining, quote, rex, unquote as in a 1944 halfpenny. Newer coins now omit even, quote, D dot G dot, unquote. God and His grace have been dropped as meaningless baggage, even in a country heavily wedded to tradition and forms. Thus, in the new penny of 1971, only, quote, D, G, unquote, remained. In the large Australian $20 piece of 1981, not even this truncated reference to God's grace and overlordship remained. The United States ostensibly was to take another course. The Constitution deliberately omitted all reference to sovereignty, and the prevalent belief was rightly that it belongs only to God. On the Jubilee of the Constitution, April 30, 1839, John Quincy Adams declared that the War of Independence had been a revolt 
against, quote, the omnipotence of Parliament, unquote, to, quote, the omnipotence of the God of battles, unquote. Of sovereignty, Adams, a Unitarian and a liberal of his day, said, quote, the grossly immoral and dishonest doctrine of despotic state sovereignty, the exclusive judge of its own obligations and responsible to no power on earth or in heaven for the violation of them, is not there. The Declaration says, It is not in me. The Constitution says, It is not in me. Very early, however, John Marshall introduced the doctrine of sovereignty into U.S. Supreme Court decisions. Especially in the 20th century and since 1936, the doctrine has grown rapidly to its logical conclusion in the Bob Jones University case. This was very clear. We may or may not agree with the interracial dating policy of Bob Jones University. This was a minor and peripheral issue in the court's decision. The court chose to assert unlimited federal sovereignty. Public policy, not freedom, shall prevail. If public policy favors abortion and homosexuality, then these cannot be opposed. Suits are already being prepared to destroy churches opposed to abortion, homosexuality, and homosexuals and women as pastors and priests. Public policy is simply another word for totalitarianism. It means that the will of the state is the law, and there is no appeal against the state, the new God walking on earth. In a subsequent decision, abortion was held to be a human right, which no law can infringe. As professor of law, Charles E. Rice, in Beyond Abortion, the theory and practice of the secular state, Franciscan Herald Press, 1434 West 51st Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60609, 1979, for $8.95, has pointed out the courts now define a person legally, an example, whether or not one is biologically and medically a living human being, is replaced by whether or not the courts define us as a legal person. The door has been opened, not only for abortion, but for the elimination of the sick, the senile, and all hated groups as legal non-persons. Thus, in these two areas, we have seen the First Amendment wiped out by a new doctrine, the mandatory conformity to public policy, implicitly for taxed as well as tax-exempt groups, and the right of the state to kill all whom it considers to be non-persons. Incarnation and History quote, He whose right it is, unquote. Delivered by R.J. Rushdoony to a Chalcedon Guild dinner, December 8, 1974. The first proclamations of the coming of Jesus Christ go back to the very beginnings of history, to the birth of time. In the Garden of Eden, as sentences passed on mankind, the promises given of restoration through the seed of the woman who shall, quote, bruise, unquote, or literally crush the serpent's head, Genesis 3:15. The coming of the promised son is the institution of victory. Later, the dying Jacob prophesied concerning the coming of the son. Again, there is the note of militancy and victory. The son is to come through the tribe of Judah, and Judah's military power is particularly noted. 
The great victor of all history is to be born of warrior's blood. Quote, Judah is a lion's whelp, unquote, Jacob declared. One who goes up or grows up on prey, Genesis 49.9. But Judah is only a custodian of power, a symbol of dominion, who holds his sway until the great one comes, he whose right it is. Quote, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, unquote. Genesis 49.10. Power must be husbanded for the man of power, Shiloh. The Jewish Targums paraphrase, quote, until Shiloh comes, unquote, with, quote, until the time when the King Messiah comes to whom it belongs, unquote. The scepter of power and dominion belong to the Christ, and the source of law is the ultimate lawgiver, the Christ. Shiloh is the name of the Messiah, and it can mean, quote, to whom it belongs, unquote, or, quote, he whose right it is, unquote. The meaning of the name Judah is, quote, God shall be praised, unquote. Jacob began his prophecy, quote, Judah Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Unquote. In Genesis 29:35, we read that Leah quote, conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Unquote. The hand of Judah, Jacob went on to declare, quote, shall be on the neck of thine enemies. Unquote. And his brothers would acknowledge his authority and power. As E.W. Hingstenberg declared, Judah would be his brother's, quote, four champion in the warfare against the world, and God has endowed him with conquering power against the enemies of his kingdom, unquote. But the meaning of Judah is Shiloh, and in Shiloh dominion will be realized. As Solomon declared, quote, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, unquote. Psalm 72.11 David was equally emphatic, quote, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee, unquote. Psalms 22.17 Again, quote, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name, unquote. Psalms 86.9 the Messiah is the one to whom all dominion, power, and authority belong. He is Shiloh, he whose right it is. The scepter of dominion is his, and he is the lawgiver and the source of all law. His coming will mark the beginning of a battle unto victory against all who arrogate dominion unto themselves. According to Numbers twenty-four seventeen, a scepter the scepter of world and universal dominion, rises out of Israel in the person of the Messiah. He shall arise to wage war against and to destroy all the sons of tumult. Numbers 24.17 The tumult of the nation shall give way to the reign of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Unto him shall be, quote, the gathering, unquote, or obedience of the peoples. Genesis 49.10 Jesus Christ has a title to and an absolute claim on the obedience of all peoples, 
and he shall establish this right by overturning all things that deny, neglect, or oppose him. The name Shiloh, he whose right it is, is echoed in Ezekiel 21:27, wherein God declares concerning the ancient world, quote, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it him, unquote. The whole of the Old Testament era is a great shaking of the nations, a shattering of the conspiracies of men against God to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now that he has come, the great and final shaking is underway. Its meaning, St. Paul declared, is, quote, the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain, unquote. Hebrews 12:27. Therefore, when Christ, the great overturner, was born, the world and the person of King Herod struck at him, striving to kill him. Knowing that Christ alive meant the defeat and death of the fallen world order, earth and hell joined in the events of his birth, temptation, trial, and crucifixion in a grand design to overturn God's plan, to shake God's eternal decree, and to establish their own pretended right. The issue was joined. Who is Shiloh? The whole point of the fall was that man said, I am Shiloh. I am he whose right it is. This is and must be a democratic universe, one in which every man has the right to be his own God, choosing or determining what constitutes good and evil for himself. There is no paradise of man possible apart from this faith. On this premise, fallen man operates, and on this premise he claims autonomy, declaring his independence from God and man, from all morality not made by man, and from all claims of authority over him. And the result from the days of the judges to the present is the same. Whenever and wherever God the sovereign king is denied, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Unquote. Judges twenty one twenty five. So too the modern state declares itself to be shallow, he whose right it is. The modern state acknowledges no law beyond itself, no lawgiver save itself, no savior beyond man, and no binding power beyond time and history. It sometimes disguises its hatred by a show of tolerance for Christianity, but that toleration is itself a form of declaring that biblical faith is irrelevant. If the claims of Scripture and the God of Scripture are true, then there is no way in which men and institutions can sidestep the absolute requirement of total submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. Their option is only Christ or judgment. There is no life apart from Him, nor any order possible in contempt of Him. For the state to attempt, as 20th century states do, to establish an order apart from Christ is to say that God is not the Lord, and that the universe is open to other claims of deity and sovereignty. At the first Christmas, the battle was joined. Church, the priest, state, Herod, and fallen humanity against the Christ child. At the crucifixion, the battle continued with priest, Sanhedrin, 
and Rome united in striving to destroy the king. In virtually every capital in the world today, the battle continues as new Sanhedrins, called parliaments, congresses, national assemblies, and like names seek to set aside and suppress the claims of Christ as absolute Lord and only Savior. The new Herods and Pilate seek sanctimoniously to wash their hands of him, and then to go about their own great business of creating a paradise on earth without God, and the only result is hell on earth. Gil Elliott, in his 20th century book of the Dead, 1972, tells us that in the 20th century, the era of the triumph of humanism between 80 and 150 million people have died in war and revolution, and their related violences, famines, slave labor camps, and the like. His statistics err on the side of conservatism. At some points, very able historians would even double the figures. Nor does he include other forms of mass murders, such as abortions. What Eliot does point out, however, is that every attempt to call some other era more bloody is untenable. Quote, Every attempt to do so shows the 20th century to be incomparably the more violent period, unquote. This, of course, does not deter humanistic scholars from viewing with horror the sins of Christian rulers in the past, while seeing all the events of the present as a prelude to paradise. But as Soltz Henenson observes in the Gulag Archipelago, quote, Pride grows in the human heart like lord on a pig. Unquote. To the question, who is Shiloh? The 20th century rarely answers Jesus Christ. Even among those who profess to call him Savior, too few will also acknowledge him to be the Lord. But if he is not our Lord, he is not our Savior. Jesus Christ is not an insurance agent writing out an insurance policy on us and then making no further claim on us as long as our policy is paid up with modest sums from time to time. He is Shiloh, he whose right it is, and he will not surrender his sovereignty unto any other. Because Jesus Christ is Shiloh, our world is under judgment for refusing to acknowledge him Lord and Savior. These troubled times should not distress or trouble us. They are evidences that Shiloh is at work, shaking the things which can be shaken, so that the unshakable may alone remain. He will overturn, overturn our humanistic world, shatter its pride, autonomy, and complacency, and he shall reign in both judgment and in peace. It is he, and not the world, who is our peace, and the troubled world of his birth the glorious song of the heavenly host was, quote, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, good will toward men. Unquote. Luke 2.14 The meaning of this peace, our Savior King declares, is himself. Quote, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, unquote, between God and man. Ephesians 2.14 by means of his grace and law word, all things are to be brought into and under his peace. His strong and calming word to us is this, quote, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, 
give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Unquote. John fourteen twenty seven. Christ's birth, the sign of victory. One of the magnificent and resounding prophecies concerning our Lord is Isaiah nine six through seven. Quote, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Unquote. Prior to these words, Isaiah gives us a perspective on the world apart from and in rebellion against God. It is a view of darkness, evil, gloom, and stumbling in the darkness of sin and misery. Isaiah's day was a serious day of power, and a serious threat hung over the nations like an imminent death sentence. The evils of history seemed only to be intensifying, and the darkness deepening. The origin of this darkness was the apostasy of the covenant people. Instead of being the people of dominion, they had become instead the slaves of sin. In a world of evil, the half-hearted and hypocritical sinner is no match for the dedicated sinner, even as today the inconsistent and masquerading humanists of the West are no match for the militant and more systematic humanists of the Soviet Empire. The triflers of Israel were no match for the ruthless warriors of Assyria. They were under the rod of their oppressors, but their foremost oppressor was their own sin and apostasy. A victory, however, was in the offing, quote, as in the day of Midian, unquote, Isaiah 9, 4. In example, as in the day of Gideon. Gideon's victory was emphatically supernatural. The battle was the Lord's, and the battle cry was, quote, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, unquote, Judges 7, 18. Before Gideon could go into battle, he had to recognize that the victory is of the Lord and for his glory. This victory is to be more dramatic. Instead of a Gideon, it will begin with a child, a wonder child, and a miracle. God the Son will invade history. Quote, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Unquote. Psalms 24, 1. The earth and the peoples thereof belong to the Lord. They have fallen under the dominion of sin and are in rebellion against God as the Lord. As king and sovereign, he invades the world to recapture his possession and to make it again fully his. As against the Assyrian invader, another invader is coming, one whose power created and ordained all things. A male child shall be born, quote, a son is given, unquote, the heir son of David, God's only begotten son. On his shoulder is the government of all things, so that all creation is in the hollow of his hand. This wonder child's name is Emmanuel, God with us, Isaiah seven fourteen, and he is virgin-born, the new Adam and the head of a new humanity to replace the old humanity of the fallen Adam. Isaiah describes this coming king. He is the wonder of the ages and the great counselor, the source of all wisdom and counsel 
so that his law word is the governing and true word for all ages and all men. This Son is also the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He restores peace to the world and reigns over it in peace as the great and eternal Prince and God. Moreover, His coming is the beginning of His reign, power, and sway. For, quote, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end, unquote. As King, He shall establish His reign with justice, and his law shall govern all things forever. Magnificently, this prophecy cannot fail. Quote, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Unquote. Men of zeal are the doers of the world. Their efforts are feeble and limited when compared with the zeal of the Almighty and Triune God. His zeal will perform the triumph of Christ's kingdom. What this prophecy tells us plainly is that the Lord God is concerned with more than the redemption of our souls. His work of salvation does emphatically include our salvation, but it also includes His triumphant repossession of the whole creation. With Christ's coming, death, resurrection, and ascension, God began the shaking of all things which are so that only those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Hebrews twelve twenty six through 29 History thus is a great shaking, a continual earthquake. God the King so orders all things that men cannot rest in their sins. His judgments shake and shatter the nations in their smug self-satisfaction with their sins. Quote, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Unquote. Isaiah 57:21 The present turmoil of history witnesses to the presence of God the Lord. He is shaking and dispossessing the peoples of our time for their lawlessness. He who refused to spare either Israel or Judah, no less than Assyria, will not spare today an unrepentant Russia, Europe, or America. His judgments bring us closer to our triumph in and through him. Therefore rejoice among the most beautiful and resounding words from the liturgy of the pre-sanctified of the early church are these concerning the birth of our Lord. Quote, the virgin today cometh into a cave to bring forth ineffably the word that is before the ages. Dance, thou universe, on hearing the tidings, glory with the angels and the shepherds hymn that will to be held a little child, the God before the ages. Unquote. Quote, Prepare thyself, O Bethlehem. Eden is open to all. Make thyself ready, O Ephrathah. Because in the cave the tree of life hath budded from the virgin. For truly an intellectual paradise is her womb become, in which is the divine plant, whereof eating we shall live, and not as Adam die. Christ is born to raise the image that was formerly fallen. Unquote. These early Christians believed that Christ's coming had altered history and all creation. Therefore they sang, quote, Dance thou universe, unquote. Christ's coming met the death knell of the Caesars and Romes of history. If they refused to submit to Christ the Lord, in terms of scripture, these men saw themselves as, quote, more than conquerors, unquote. Romans eight thirty-seven. As victors, 
over the nations in Christ, not as victims. Only such a faith could and did conquer. Many of the errors, sins, and shortcomings of the early church are no longer with us, but neither is their zeal nor the assurance of victory. Whitaker Chambers, on deserting the communists to work for the restoration of the republic, remarked sadly that he had apparently left the winning side for the losers. Too many churchmen today act as if they too joined the losers in becoming Christians. Such an attitude is a denial of the incarnation and resurrection. They surrender what cannot be surrendered, the assured kingship of Christ and the everlasting increase of his government and sway. They assume that because they lack zeal for Christ's kingdom, the Lord too lacks zeal. But Isaiah tells us concerning Christ's kingdom and government, quote, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, unquote. By and large, the humanist believes that with respect to history, death ends all. Some humanists with occultist tendencies hold that after death, we live as spirits in some vague and neutral realm. This neutral realm is an undivided realm, and hence without heaven or hell, defeat or victory. All too many Christians are a little better. History is for them the arena of retreat and defeat, and the world to come a retirement home for the pious defeated ones. This plainly denies Revelation 22.3, And his servant shall serve him, unquote. Having no dominion on earth, they see no dominion in the world to come. The glory of our Lord's birth is the glory of sure and total victory. The Virgin Mary, inspired of God, saw her son's birth as the beginning of a great overturning. Quote, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Unquote. Luke 2.52 In the modern era, the kings of Europe banned the magnificent from churches because of that sentence. The kings are gone, and Christ remains as Lord and King. Those churchmen who would deny or abolish the note of victory are as foolish as those crowned heads of Europe, and they will join them in the trash heap of history. Christ is King. Let the peoples tremble. Let none dare deny His sway. The joy of the Christmas season is the joy of triumph, the joy that the King has come and He reigns. It is, quote, joy to the world, unquote, because, quote, the Savior reigns, unquote. Hence the summons, quote, dance thou universe, unquote, or as Isaac Watts said, quote, heaven and nature sing, unquote. Again, in Watts' words, let joy around like rivers flow, flow on and still increase, spread o'er the glad earth at Emmanuel's birth, for heaven and earth are at peace. History was no picnic in Watts' day, but he knew that for those who are in Christ, quote, heaven and earth are at peace, unquote. And as the people of Christ, we establish that peace on earth through our faithfulness. How then do we become the people of the Prince of Peace? He is our peace, and we proclaim him as the man of peace. In Paul's words, quote, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Unquote. Ephesians 2, 13-14 An example between God and man. 
The reign of peace begins with peace with God through Jesus Christ. The establishment of that peace, then, is the application of God's law word to every area of life and thought. God's law teaches us how to live in peace with Him and at peace with our neighbor. It teaches us how to be at peace with the earth by keeping God's laws in relation to it. Because Christ is our Sabbath rest, Hebrews 4, 1-16, we are able to rest in a restless world. We have peace in a war-sick age because, quote, this man shall be the peace, unquote, Micah 5, 5. We have in God's law the prescription for the ills of men and nations, and in the incarnate Son of God, the healer with power, who enables men to rise up and walk in obedience to His law. The church cannot honestly celebrate Christ's birth, Christmas, and sing the triumphant carols, and then turn its back on the mandate to exercise dominion, and to be, quote, more than conquerors, unquote. From the early church, the order of the Orthros, comes this prayer, quote, By night our spirit watches early unto thee, O God, for thy precepts are light. Teach us, O God, thy righteousness, thy commandments, and thine ordinances. Enlighten the eyes of our understandings. Lest at any time we sleep unto death in sins, dispel all gloom from our hearts, bestow on us the Son of Righteousness, and unassailed do Thou keep our life in the seal of Thy Holy Spirit. Direct our steps into the way of peace. Grant us to behold the dawn and the day in exultation, that to Thee we may send up our morning prayers. For Thine is the might, and Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of the ages. Amen. Unquote. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Follow the road.
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.